<laughs> the message is going to be awesome because I got a subwoofer. <laughs> and a big, I got a new Bible this week. That's more exciting than a subwoofer. It's a beaut. I didn't know she was going to tell you about my subwoofer. Man, good thing that wasn't my message. She would have just stole my thunder. And if you know what a subwoofer is, yeah, Phil, Phil laughed. He got it. Okay. Okay. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about contentment and discontentment. And I really feel like God had been speaking to me about this very thing, and I, I hope that it can speak to you too. I was at Chris and Heather's house a few weeks ago, and we were discussing this sermon and what we were going to be talking about and I was telling Heather that I felt that God had been preparing my heart for the sermon for weeks now. And when we picked out the topics and stuff, I just thought God was wanting me to speak on contentment. I felt like it was something God had put on my heart and God had been working in my heart. And I got to a point where I just really felt like I had contentment nailed down, if you will. And uh, God's word tells us that pride comes before destruction and haughtiness before fall. And I think that's exactly what happened this week. Uh, the vast majority of the work that I do throughout the week, I work in commercial settings. However, the last two weeks we've been working in a uh, residential application, putting in security systems, and the house that I was working in was a very, very nice house. It was located in a part of Peoria that has a grand view if you were to look out the window. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a very nice house. So as I mentioned, I was on a roll of being content. I really felt like I had this nailed down. and. Uh, we stepped in this house, and that, that all changed so quickly. I remember asking my coworker, do you ever feel inferior or like you're less of a person than someone else uh, when you walk into a place like this? And he looks at me puzzled, no? Do you? And, and I, I realized how foolish it sounded, because I know that the, the people who own this house aren't better because of their financial status or because of the size, the square footage, and uh, the countertops they have in their kitchen and whatnot. But in that, in that moment, I felt like I wasn't good enough. And for some reason, I thought to myself, these people are better than me because of their stuff. And as I, I talked with him for a little bit, he seemed to think that I was being silly. And, and looking back, I can see that I was. Um, I, I asked him if, if he ever thought we'd get to this point. Do you ever think we'll have a house that's nice? And he's like, Dave, what are you talking about? <laughs> you have an awesome home. Your house is your castle and it's super nice. Your house is as nice as this one. It may not be as big, but it's so nice. You've got a great thing going for you. And I was instantly convicted. This person who is not a follower of Christ is calling me out on contentment, saying that, and, and he didn't know he was doing this, but I knew that God was using him to speak to me. He, he put me in my place, and, and, and I got shut down. I got shut down pretty hard. I was, I was so blind to see how blessed I was in that moment. And hear me out, I know that I am extremely blessed. I, I tell my wife that time and time again. In fact, around Christmas and birthdays and any other time that people think it's customary to give gifts and they want to get me something, I, I have a hard time because I, I tell her I have everything I need. There's literally nothing else that I need. You, you don't need to get me anything and, uh, unless it's more Milwaukee power tools. Hint, hint, Taylor. Uh, oh, sorry, we're talking about con contentment. Okay, uh, right. So <laughs> would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that these words would be used to help equip us in our faith, God, that they would encourage us to remain hopeful when we feel like there is no hope and empower us to show your love to those around us. God, let us apply these words to our lives in a meaningful way. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week, I was talking with a, a friend about prepping for my sermon, and she asked me an interesting question. 
she, she asked, do you feel like you have a word from the Lord? And, and when preparing for sermons, it's, it's pretty usual for me to get a text from a couple people on our teaching team. Hey, how's it going? We're praying for you, Let, letting me know that they're encouraging me and they, they've got me in their minds and prayers. And, and uh, that, that's, that's not the weird part. The weird part wasn't that uh, I got that text. It was, it was so specific, so oddly specific. Do you think that you feel like you have a word from God? And I told her it was something that I sometimes have a difficulty distinguishing the difference between what is of God and what is me aimlessly pecking away at the keyboard to get enough words to fill 30 minutes with you guys. And I was encouraged in that moment to know that God will use our feeble attempts at sharing his word. And I was reminded what Isaiah says in chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, and I want to read this to you from my new very large Bible Verse 10 says, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Another translation says that God's word will not return void. Another verse I was reading while studying for this was in Philippians, and Paul is writing, and it's in chapter 1, verse 17. Those who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that does not matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. So, so Paul's saying it doesn't matter what the motives are. It doesn't matter what's being said or how it's being said. When you're preaching the word of God, God's will is going to be done. The, the life change is going to happen regardless. And that was, that was so encouraging to me this week. So, so we're, we're in Philippians. Um, and I'd like to go uh, a couple chapters forward from what I just read to you in uh, Philippians chapter 4. And this is going to start us in what I actually wanted to talk about today. We're going to look at a little bit in what Paul was going through in chapter 4. And we're going to pick up at verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The secret of contentment is not found in what we have. It's found in one thing, and that is Christ and Christ alone. I was talking with someone this week about contentment and, and the sermon I brought it up at work, and, and this person told me that he struggled with contentment, and he was having troubles putting into words what it was that he was feeling. And after a few minutes of talking with him, I found out what he was trying to express. He told me he had everything he needed and how he shouldn't have any reason to be discontent, but, but he just felt like something was missing. He couldn't put 
words to it. I knew exactly what he's talking about, though. This person doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and, and until that void in his life is filled, that contentment is going to evade him. I've heard it said that we have a Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts, and I feel like this person is experiencing what that feels like right now. Ecclesiastes tells us, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God has planted eternity in our hearts. God has given us a glimpse of what is to come. He's put it in every heart of every man, woman, and child. God has put a Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts. People will often face contentment issues because they're, they're not sure what they're missing, and, and uh, it's this relationship with the Creator, with Jesus, the one who gave his life for us. That's what they're missing. But here we are. Many of us are believers. We would say that we know Jesus died for our sins, and we have a relationship with, us, uh, with him, and, and, and we still feel discontentment. So, so why is that? What are some areas that we might struggle with uh, contentment or, or discontentment? So the first area that I want to cover today is relational discontentment. And uh, that's a nice, nice long title there. If you're writing notes, I'm sorry. <laughs> relational discontentment. The first relationship I want to talk about is marriage. You may say things like, if I had their marriage, or if my spouse only treated me like that person's spouse, you envy what other people have, thinking what you have isn't good enough. And when it comes to marriage, it seems like the grass is always greener on the other side. And let me tell you, there are times where the grass is greener, but it's not by chance. It takes work. Those people are watering the grass. They're fertilizing the grass. They're pulling the weeds. When you see a weed in that yard, what do you do? You pull it out. And the people who have the marriage that you think you want to have, some of those people are working towards that. It's not just something that they gather. They didn't, didn't just say, I do, and get a, a fairy tale marriage. But there's also a huge amount of smoke and mirrors when it comes to, to marriage. You think what you see as normal in their marriage is, is what they're doing around the clock, when, when in reality, at times, you're seeing the small percentage of their lives lived in the public eye. It's easy to keep a smile on and show your spouse you love them when you're in front of other people, but, but that may not be the case necessarily. Or you're seeing what they post online. Another area would be maybe, maybe you're not married, a lack of marriage or a lack of companionship. Possibly you're struggling with discontentment because your marriage, it's not that it's not as good as other people's, it's that you don't have one at all and it's something that you really, really desire. Perhaps it's with you, not that the perfect partner isn't out there, but perhaps it's that you need to start focusing on being pure and becoming the man of God that God intended for you to be. Maybe you need to show uh, a little self-control and stop seeking self-satisfaction. Maybe going to the bar and looking for a good evening isn't what you should be doing when you should be growing your spiritual life and preparing your soul for the person that God has for you in the future. Right now, the marriage rate in the country is about one in two in and out of the church. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or out. About 50% of unions will end in divorce, and, and that's just the first marriage. The more consecutive marriages, it goes up and up and up, the percentage of divorce rate after that. Maybe something you're struggling with discontentment in is, is time with your kids. Maybe you think, I don't have enough time with my kids. Perhaps you're already married and you have kids and you're constantly worried that you're not spending enough time with them or you don't think you have enough time to spend with them. Part of the reason you can't spend time with your kids is because you're spending so much of your time working. Men typically do this because we feel like it's our responsibility to provide a good life for our family. We feel like we have to go above and beyond to make sure that they have everything they need. But th there could be someone in here who is just working too much. 
Maybe you have multiple jobs or your, your current job is far too demanding on your time. You're working too much overtime. When your kids are grown, they're, they're not going to look back and think, man, I'm glad my, worked all that, my dad worked all that overtime so I could have that Xbox or that really nice SUV. Th they're going to look back and remember the times that they spent with you. And you were going to possibly look back at the times that you spent working when you could have been with your family and regret that. And you're never going to get that back. So this is something that you, you cannot afford to overlook. If you think you can't afford to work less hours or let go of that second or third job, I tell you this, you can't afford to work away your kid's childhood trying to pay for the good life. If you're in a tight situation financially, maybe what you need isn't to work more hours and get more money. Maybe you need to do with less. You need to cut spending, unnecessary spending. Now, I'm not saying quit your 40-hour work week. I think that would be irresponsible. I think that we have a responsibility to work and provide for our families, absolutely. But if you don't have time with your kids, that's a problem. And if you're working a 40-hour work week and only 40 hours and you still don't have time with your kids, then you need to find something else ridiculous to cut. You need to turn off the TV. You need to stop hitting the gym. You need to, you need to stop doing whatever it is that's taking time from your relationship with your wife and your family outside of work because in a 40-hour work week that leaves plenty of time to spend time with your kids. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard. I'm just saying you need to have your priorities straight. Proverbs 23, 4 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Don't overwork yourself trying to, to, to pay for the good life, the better life, the life that if I just had this much, if I could just get to this next point, I would be happy. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. The next relationship, uh, I see this one a lot and I have dealt with this personally, is friends. I've heard this one a lot in the past few years uh, and uh, there are times when you'll see people out with their group or their friends and, and you get jealous and you think, man, I wish I could be with those people. Why don't they ever call me? Why am I not in that group? And uh, first things first, if you want to have friends, you need to be a friend. And worrying about what other people are doing with their friends is never going to help you gain any friends. You need to be willing to shake a hand and ask how somebody is doing. If you worry that you won't know what to talk about, that the beautiful thing about this is people love talking about themselves. So if you're worried that the conversation's not going to go anywhere, ask them about themselves. That conversation's going to go from awkward to fluent like that. You'd be surprised how quickly that conversation would turn around. Open up your home to people. Entertain. You don't have to have a humongous house with Brazilian cherry hardwood floors and marble countertops and the latest 75-inch 4K ultra-high-definition TV. I if you do, you can invite me over. I'll gladly watch your TV, <laughs> but, but, but that's not what it's about. I've had some of the best times of my life with friends in high school who lived in a trailer park, watching movies on their tiny TV and sitting on the couch that had holes in it, eating hot dogs. Don't let your current financial situation be an excuse as to why you don't have friends and don't have people over. Stop worrying about the people who didn't invite you to the cookout and, and be proactive, be Jesus to someone. Open up your home and your heart to other people. Those are some of the relational discontentment issues, and, and this list is not by any means comprehensive, but it's a good start in some areas that I think some of us may deal with. Um, the next thing I want to move towards is probably what a lot of us think about when we think of uh, discontentment, what you probably thought I would be talking about today, and that's materialistic discontentment. And if you're taking notes, write down stuff, because that is easier to write down than materialistic discontentment. Stuff. 
Just like I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon, it seemed like I was content with my life. I had it figured out. I had this contentment thing nailed down. God, you have blessed me and I have everything I need and I am happy and life is great. And then I stepped into someone's house who had something much nicer. And that right there is something we need to learn to deal with. We must learn to kill comparisons. We must learn to kill comparisons. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. We will not boast about things done outside our areas of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work that God has given us. Comparing is ignorant, according to Paul. Why? Because the standards that we set are self-set. We're comparing to other people who determine in their own minds what is right and what is good. The only thing that we should be boasting about is boasting in Christ and what he has done in our lives. We must learn to kill comparisons. A huge area of comparisons in many lives today, and this is something that people 20 years ago wouldn't have understood, it's social media. And social media is such a great tool. It connects the world in a way that until the last 10 or 15 years wasn't possible. But it, it can contribute to discontentment. I've seen this time and time again in other people's lives and my own life alike that people will compare their lives to other people on social media. Why is this a problem? Well, firstly, comparing your, your life to the parts of lives that are on social media is foolish simply because you're comparing your 100% what you see to their 1%. They're posting the best and the most memorable 1% of their lives and you're seeing that as you thumb through the feed on your phone and it's building up discontentment. I heard a story from Pastor Craig Rochelle and this one's pretty funny uh, about two moms that actually hated each other on social media. One was a working mom and she's like, I hated you because you were the perfect Pinteresty stay-at-home mom who does crafts and spends time with the kids and makes me feel so guilty. And then the other mom is like, well, I hated you because you have a life and you go out in public and you're doing things and I haven't had my hair in anything but a ponytail since 2009. <laughs> and, and both women wanted what the other one had. They failed to see what was right there in front of them. I heard Pastor Stephen Furtick put it like this. You're comparing your behind the scenes to other people's highlight reels. And that's so true because you see what people want you to see on social media. They're posting for the maximum number of likes that they can get. By the way, if you didn't like my picture of the squirrel on the power pole, get on it. <laughs> Periodically, I have taken breaks from all forms of social media, uh, partially because of the distraction that it can cause and, uh, and the likes that I want to get. I think Chris is liking my squirrel picture right now. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I, I, I think you did, actually. Thanks. It's, I'm serious, there's a picture of a squirrel on a power pole on my <laughs> Instagram. It's, it's a great picture, he's really fat, it's so awesome. Okay, so uh, that, being said, that being said, I do have an Instagram account and I don't hate social media, but there have been times where I've needed to take a break from it. And uh, the most recent lasted about a year. I got rid of uh, all forms of social media, I took a year sabbatical, if you will, from social media, <laughs> and then I got a drone. And I started taking videos and I wanted to share them first. Uh, so the first several, most of, all of the first posts that I posted uh, were videos and pictures from the sky from D, that's my drone, D, that's his name. 
I, I digress though. Perhaps uh, you're in a place where you may also need to take a break from social media. Maybe in order to deal with contentment in your life, uh, you need to step back. So, so you know what I found when I stopped spending time on social media? I found that uh, I wasn't comparing my lives and my stuff to other people's lives and stuff. And I became content and perfectly happy with what I had and with my situation in life. And with, with everything in life, I stopped thinking, oh man, that would be nice to have, or that would be nice if I had my life set up like theirs or, or had a job like that. So I stopped using the social media and all of a sudden I had all this free time. So that's another great benefit. Uh, so what did I do with it? Among other things, I started to watch more TV with my wife. So one of the channels that we love watching together is HDTV. HGTV, NHD, mind you. <laughs> we loved watching this channel, and uh, I think it's great to get inspiration for things around the home, but it went from inspiration to taking away my contentment with the beautiful home that God's blessed me with. All of a sudden, that rug that we picked up at a yard sale for $10 a year ago wasn't good enough and it's as if I were enlightened about the poor paint choices I made last year. <laughs> we started realizing that the decor we picked up at Target, it wasn't good enough, and it was time to update the house every week. <laughs> so watching these shows uh, started causing me to have discontentment in a huge way, and I have a beautiful home, but every time we'd watch these shows, this idea would just creep into my mind that I just didn't have something that was good enough. So Taylor and I still watch these shows on occasion. There, there's, there's some entertainment value there for sure, but I can't give as much time to these types of shows as I used to because of the feelings of inferiority and discontentment that came with them. These shows would bring emotions that that made me think I didn't have a good enough home. When I know that I, I do, I have a beautiful home and I'm very, very blessed. So per perhaps you too need to limit the time you're watching these sorts of TV shows. So we've talked about a few different areas that can starve our contentment. While the list that goes on, again, this isn't comprehensive, it goes on and on. What we just talked about is kind of a good start for what I think uh, God might be speaking to some of us in here today. So maybe we need to move forward thinking how can we become content? What can we do? What steps can we take? And I have four steps for you. So if you're taking notes, there are going to be four steps that we need to take to be truly content. The first one goes with what we were just talking about. Stop comparing yourself to others. We have to learn to admire without the desire to acquire. Got a nice ring to it. Learn to admire without the desire to acquire. What does that mean? When someone else has something nice, it's not wrong to acknowledge that it's nice. It's not wrong to say, that's nice. When it becomes wrong is when that's nice becomes, that'd be nice to have, or I need that. When we see someone who has something very nice, we see someone who's blessed, we should rejoice with them. We should rejoice for them. If you're envying what other people have, you're resenting God's goodness in those people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. And that's a huge slap in the face to our creator, the one who gave us everything that we have. Envying what others have is resenting God's goodness in their lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Do not ignore how blessed you already are. Which brings us to step two, enjoy what you already have. Enjoy what you already have. God wants you to enjoy your life. He doesn't just want you to endure through life. He wants you to enjoy your life. When we're talking about contentment, I'm not saying it's bad to want things or it's bad to have things. That's, that's not what I'm about. In fact, I, I think that the Bible tells us that, that God wants us to be blessed. In Ecclesiastes 5.19, it tells us just that. 
It says, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. You see, God does want us to enjoy the gifts that he's given us. He wants us to be wealthy. He wants us to be prosperous. As a parent, when you give your kids gifts, does it bring you joy? Does it bring, your joy, does it bring you joy to bless your children? Of course it does. But not only does it bring you joy to bless them and give them gifts, it brings you joy to watch them enjoying those gifts that you've given them in the same way God wants to watch his children enjoying the gifts that he has given them. So what are some things that we already have that we can enjoy? What are some things that, that if you're thinking, man, I don't have enough or I'm feeling really discontent, what are some things that we have that, that we can enjoy? And these, this is a very basic list, but it's something that most of us probably can relate to. I enjoy taking hot showers. <laughs> In fact, let's dial it back. Let's go a little more primitive than that. I enjoy indoor plumbing. I enjoy that every time nature calls, I don't have to go outside to call back. <laughs> a vehicle. While I don't have a Range Rover, so what? I don't need a Range Rover. I have a very nice functioning vehicle. And what is its purpose? It's to get me from A to B. The, the purpose of that vehicle was that when I woke up this morning and I needed to be here in 20 minutes, I could do that. And it does it. It does it just fine. But not only does it do that, it keeps me comfortable. In the summer, it cools me down, and in the winter, it warms me up. And better than that, it has a radio so I can listen to my favorite tunes. And no, that subwoofer we're talking about is not in the Jeep. It's in my house. <laughs> Music. Oh. Music. That is a beautiful, beautiful gift. I love music. It's got such, such a, a big spot in my heart. And that's something that we can enjoy without having to pay for. You can turn on the radio. You can go almost any store or restaurant or anywhere in this area and you'll hear music playing in the background. Music is something that we can enjoy. And, and you don't even have to go anywhere to enjoy music because you can produce music because God gave you vocal cords so you can sing and you can enjoy music. Electricity. I really like the fact that I can flip a switch and all of a sudden it's no longer pitch black in a room. I like that... I don't have to get matches and light a candle to see at night anymore. But in the spirit of being thankful for things I already have, my wife and I, we light candles. <laughs> we light them all the time because they smell good and they give our house a nice ambiance. The list goes on and on and on. We have so much to be grateful for and so much that we can already enjoy. People have a tendency to get into an if-then mentality or a when-then mindset. If I have this, then I'll be happy. Or when I get that job, I'll be happy. I heard, uh, I heard somebody say that the, the amount of money that you used to strive for is now the amount of money that you're starving on. You said, if I could get to this point, then we would have enough. And once you get to that point, you think, man, I don't have enough. But money cannot buy happiness. Happiness costs absolutely nothing. But you could buy a jet ski and try not smiling while on one of those. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. If, if you truly want a jet ski, rent one. It doesn't make a lot of sense to spend thousands of dollars on something you'll use a few hours a year, and then it just takes up space in your garage and depreciates. If, if you're going to go on a jet ski, find someone who has one or, or rent one. I had to throw that joke in there because I probably will never have that opportunity to do that again. So, 
here, here's an example of money not being able to buy happiness. Um, actually, I'm going to deviate from this for a second because today I had a great example of money not buying happiness. And uh, I was sitting here and my, my nephew was climbing all over me as I'm out here worshiping. And he pulls out of a, his pocket this rock. And he's so excited about it. He's showing it to me. He's putting it on his head. He's playing with it. He's, he's like putting it up to my ear and he's listening to it. It's a rock. <laughs> and he was so excited about that rock. Kids, I think, get contentment. And I think parents can sometimes, we can blindside our kids because we think we need to get them better stuff. But he loved that rock. I mean, I could have pulled out an iPad and he would have been like, I got a rock. What do I need that for? Probably would have broke the screen on the iPad. So for my niece's birthday a few years ago, other side of the family, we bought her some brand name children's toy. It was probably based off the theme of the birthday party. And she got all sorts of toys that were based off of that theme, all sorts of plastic, the stuff that the advertising agencies were pushing, saying, you need to have this so your kids can be happy. And in addition to all the cool brand name cho- toys we received, we also bought her a simple ball. It was a blue inflatable bouncy ball that we picked up for a dollar. Yes, one dollar. And I kid you not, out of the hundreds of dollars in toys, the name brand toys that the advertising agencies told us we had to get for the kids, she liked that ball more than any of them. She would not set it down. As she's opening other presents, her mom had to take it from her because she wanted to hold on to that one dollar ball instead of all the other name brand plastic that the advertising companies say that we need and that our kids need. But to the point that money can't buy happiness, because even though that ball was only a dollar, it was still money, it still required something. Let's, let's just go to the point that you don't need it at all to buy happiness. The rock, brilliant example. Thank you, Liam, for that. Um, but how many times have you purchased something for your infant or your young child just to find out they're playing with the box? They're playing with the box. The marketing industries do a fantastic job at convincing parents if we don't buy our kids plastic, they're going to need counseling because you weren't a good parent. If you don't get them the stupid little non-biodegradable plastic toy that has no batteries included, mind you, and then once you put batteries in, you wish you didn't because of the sounds that it makes, <laughs> they tell us if we don't get our kids those that they won't be happy. And that's just, that's just simply that's just a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It really is. It's a lie that's there to make us be discontent. Maybe not even in our own lives, but we're discontent for our children. And that's that's, that's just wrong because our kids don't need that stuff to be happy. So look at what happened in the Christmas story. Ralphie was super upset when he thought he didn't get the Red Ryder BB gun. And once he received the gun, he was so happy. That's the story that the marketing agencies want us to learn. And they want us to think that's true. He was so upset and then the story turned around when he got the Red Rider BB gun. But you'll shoot your eye out, kid, and look what happened. He almost did. See, that, that story of the Red Rider BB gun, it, it, it's what they want us to think is, is the truth when really it's, it's not the truth. They want us to think that we need more to be happy. And, and their goal is if we can get you to think that you buy this one more thing that you will reach happiness. That's their goal is to sell and to push and to get your money. But the reality is that we have a lot to be grateful for. We have a lot that we can already enjoy. So number three, remember that life is not about things. Life is not about things. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm going to read you uh, part of a prayer that a man named Agur had. I think I'm pronouncing that right. 
And if not, he's not here to defend himself, so eager <laughs> it is. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. And second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Agar is asking God for two things. The first is that he will be an honest man. And the second, he asks that God would give him neither, neither poverty nor riches. Now, I bet that a lot of us would likely pray the first part of that. Yeah, God, don't give us poverty. But, but the second part, I think we'd stop before we get that. God, don't give us riches? He takes it that step further. He says, God, don't give me riches. And he says if he grows too rich, that he could get to a point where he says, who is the Lord? He worries that the riches could distort the truth and they could take from him what is most important, and that is God. Agar got it, that life is not about things. And when it comes to things, you have two choices. You can either work more or want less. That's what it comes down to. When it comes to things, you have two choices, to work more or want less. The more you work, the more you can afford, but the less you want, the less you have to work, and the more time you can spend enjoying the things that you have. Now this one is hard for me because I seldom turn down an opportunity to work. If I'm not working my weekly nine to five, I'm helping out a friend with his business or helping family or friends out on projects around their, their house. If I'm not doing that, I'm working on projects on my own house or working on projects for the church or preparing a sermon. You and I will probably need to help us remember this one, that life is not about things. Now the fourth and final step in helping us deal with discontentment is to focus on what will last forever. Could you close your eyes for a minute? I want us all to focus on what I'm saying for the next moment. Are you, are you tired? Do you find yourself tired? Are you possibly in debt? Do you have added expenses? Or you worry about your finances? Do you have conflict with your spouse about money? Are you dissatisfied? Are you envious of what others have? These are all signs that you may be struggling with contentment. You may not be content with what God's blessed you with already. We need to move our focus from things. We need to remove our focus from others' relationships. We need to remove our focus from other marriages and social media feeds and Pinterest and advertising. We need to remove our focus from what the world tells us and we need to put it back where God wants our focus. We need to remember what Paul told us when he was at the lowest point in his life. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13, I close with this. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have not I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned that the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach 
or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength.